Uh, how's everybody doing today? Good. Well, my name's Janelle, and this morning we're going to continue our study in the book of John. Are y'all good? Okay. <laughs> uh, 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 okay, so we're going to be uh, continuing our study in the book of John with chapter 19, if you want to go ahead and turn to there in your Bible. Uh, the gospel of John has been building to the death and resurrection of Jesus, and that is exactly where we are in the verses today. Uh, in fact, the entire Bible has been leading to this moment. I like to think of it like a brick road, where every Old Testament book, every story, every success, every failure is another brick on that road that is leading to this moment that we are reading about here today, this moment in the gospel. An example of that would be uh, when Marvel first started making movies and all the Avengers movies were working together. This was a very exciting time for my husband, who's a comic book nerd and a movie nerd. It was like everything coming together, you know, but it was a big deal that they were able to pull this off because it was all these different movies and all these different stories, years in the making that built up for the Avengers and then Avengers Endgame. And I remember I would say to people like, nothing like this has ever happened before. Nothing like this has ever been done before. It's so exciting how it all works perfectly together. And I wonder if God in that moment was like, nothing? <laughs> like, you can't think of one thing? And I'm like, no, God, not one thing. <laughs> but when the Avengers Endgame came out, we'd have friends that would be like, well, I'm not going to go see that because I haven't kept up with all the other movies. And we'd be like, that's okay. That's okay. It'll still make sense. Just come watch the movie. You might not get all the inside jokes or things like that or references, but I'll whisper them to you in the movie and you're going to love it. <laughs> but it'll still make sense. And that's kind of what we're going to be experiencing today for anybody who might not be as familiar with the Old Testament or with what we've been studying in the Gospel of John. You'll still be able to follow the story. We will still be able to understand it. But knowing the Old Testament and knowing the rest of the Gospel of John that we've been studying is going to help us in understanding the wide variety of references that John is going to be making in the scripture that we read today. Last week, we read about Jesus's brutal death on the cross and the sign that Pilate had made for him, which the sign hung over Jesus and it read, I am the king of the Jews. And the religious leaders who had Jesus killed on the cross, they hated the sign because they were adamant that Jesus was not their king. And the verses we covered last week ended with Jesus being given a hyssop branch dipped in sour wine. And just before he died, he spoke the words, it is finished. So if you uh, have your Bible out, we're going to go ahead and start with verse 31 in John chapter 19 this morning. So let's read this together. It says, it was the day of preparation and the Jewish leaders didn't want bodies hanging there the next day, which was the Sabbath and a very special Sabbath because it was Passover week. So they asked Pilate to hasten their deaths by ordering that their legs be broken. Then their bodies could be taken down. So this is a dark passage that we're reading today with some pretty uh, gruesome elements to it. There's nothing, there's no way really around that. But it starts with saying that the Jewish leaders wanted to make sure Jesus's body was taken down in order that they could continue the Sabbath and participate in the Sabbath and not just any Sabbath, but the Passover Sabbath. And immediately we're confronted with the dark irony of religious leaders wanting to move Jesus out of the way so that they can continue to look like they're following the rules of God. I mean, this is a devastating visual. This is a devastating visual of them continuing their hypocrisy by creating a public show of following the rules of a God they just had killed. They're getting Jesus out of the way. They're getting God out of the way so that they can continue to parade around and make it look like they're doing the right thing. And while what they did was wrong, we want to make sure that we hold scripture up like a mirror to ourselves. 
And we want to make sure that we examine our own actions and make sure that we are not, not ever caught or found doing the same thing. You know, G- John has no wasted words in this gospel. And we want to notice that he points out that this Sabbath is special because of its connection to Passover. And Passover is a story that goes back to the Old Testament and Exodus. And it's when the Israelites were slaves in Egypt. God told Pharaoh to let his people go. And Pharaoh said, no. And so God sent 10 plagues to Egypt to get Pharaoh to let his people go. And the last plague, which was by far the worst one, killed the firstborn son in every family. And in order to be protected from the death of that plague, the Israelites had to sacrifice a lamb. They used the hyssop branch, just like the hyssop branch we read about in last week's verses. They used a hyssop branch dipped in the blood of a sacrificial lamb, and they painted that over their doorframe. Everyone who had the blood of this lamb on their doorframe was spared from death. Death passed over those houses, giving us the name Passover. So John is making a connection to the Passover with Jesus when he points out in last week, last week's verses that a hyssop branch was dipped in sour wine and given to Jesus and that this is happening at the time of Passover. And I think what we learn from these verses is that Jesus is the sacrificial lamb who protects us. The story of the Old Testament was not just freeing the Israelites from slavery and protecting them from death. It was symbolic of what Jesus would one day do for every single one of us. His death on the cross represents the spotless lamb that did nothing wrong, that died to protect us. This is part of the fulfillment of scripture that we talk about Jesus doing. He fulfilled the stories of the Old Testament, not just by the way that he lived, but also by the way that he died. And he wasn't dying for no reason. These stories weren't leading up to nothing. It was for us. It was for all of us in this room and for everyone who has ever existed. Jesus knows that we're not good at this. Jesus knows that death is painful. Jesus knows that justice is needed for our sins. And he doesn't just say he's here to help. He walked towards the cross. He breathed the painful breaths. And he stayed there. And he stayed there because he says that we are worth protecting. I saw an interview Uh, This week I was watching a documentary about a musician who says that they are no longer a Christian. They said they grew up in the church and the church they grew up in preached about hell so much that as a child, they had trouble sleeping at night. They would lay awake at night terrified about going to hell. And this is so heartbreaking to me because I know that this musician is not the only person who has experienced that that perspective. And it's heartbreaking to me because as Christians, we're supposed to be the ones who aren't afraid of death. But this person who was being interviewed, they felt that they had to leave Christianity because they didn't want to be afraid anymore. I mean, this is so backwards from how this is supposed to be. And and I can't blame him for doing that. I hope and I pray that one day the truth of Christianity can be revealed to him and to every person who has gone through that, that they can see that Jesus was rescuing us so that we don't have to be afraid anymore. 
We should never be scaring people about hell or any other parts of Christianity in order to convince them to be a Christian. We want Christianity to return to what it is and what it's supposed to be, which is good news. Good news. There is a God out there and he loves us. Good news. There is a God who came down to earth not to condemn us, but to save us. Good news. We don't have to be afraid of death. We have a great protector who is strong enough to save us. Good news. We can sleep well at night. We can sleep well at night knowing that God is in charge and he has a plan to set all things right. The people who are preaching fear, hellfire and brimstone to scare people and twisting the words of the Bible, they're loud. So our love must be louder. Our love must be louder than their fear. Let's keep reading with verse 32. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the two men crucified with Jesus. But when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead. So they didn't break his legs. One of the soldiers, however, pierced his side with a spear and immediately blood and water flowed out. This report is from an eyewitness giving an accurate account. He speaks the truth so that you also may continue to believe. These things happened in fulfillment of the scriptures that say not one of his bones will be broken and they will look on the one they pierced. Okay. Uh, so Jesus or John says that in order to take these men down in time for Sabbath, they have to break their legs. And this is pretty graphic, but basically when they were put up on the cross, their, their hands are nailed to the cross and in order to breathe, they have to use their legs to get that momentum to breathe. And so it's a cruel punishment. We know that about the cross. And so basically when they break their legs, it suffocates them. So they die. Um, and they're doing this so that they, get, they can have everybody taken down in time for the Sabbath. And if it weren't for the Sabbath, it's thought historians think that people would be up there for a long time. It's kind of a billboard from Rome, a reminder, don't mess with us. And they note that they don't, break Jesus's legs because he's already dead. And John points out that this is an important detail because it's another fulfillment of prophecy. If you're reading this in your Bible, it'll have um, notes as to where those prophecies are located. And he's showing over and over how people are unintentionally fulfilling prophecy, even with the spear going into Jesus's side. And John says that this is written from an eyewitness perspective in verse 35. He's saying, I didn't hear this from a friend of a friend. It really happened. I saw it and I'm sharing this with you so that you can also believe. And now again, this is graphic, but it says that when Jesus's side was pierced with a spear, blood and water flowed out of it. And this is significant for several reasons. One, we think back to the last supper, a communion when Jesus says, eat this bread, This is my body broken for you. Drink this wine. This is my blood poured out for us, for you. But the fact that water poured out is also an important detail. Now, there's a lot of studies as to why both blood and water come out. And this is like such graphic stuff for me to be mentioning casually. But you're welcome to look that up. There's so many studies that people have done as to like why that would happen. Uh, But what I want to focus on today is the symbolism of the water. Because just as the entire Bible has been laying bricks on a path that leads to this part of the story, so has the Gospel of John. He's been laying bricks as well. 
And the gospel of John has been paving the way to this very moment. When the water pours out of Jesus's side is when images of previous scripture might begin to flash back to the reader, especially to the audience who is hearing it at that time. So, and I'll show you what I'm talking about. So let's uh, consider and remember the water flowing out of Jesus's side. while we reread some scripture that we read back in John chapter four. This is when Jesus is talking to a Samaritan woman at the well and him just simply talking to her is basically scandalous for every reason possible. So we're going to jump into the middle of their conversation in John chapter four. Jesus replied in verse 10, and he's talking to the woman at the well. If you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Okay, let's continue with another flashback in John, back in John chapter seven. Again, considering and thinking about the water flowing out of Jesus's side as he's at the cross. Back in John chapter seven, we studied a moment when Jesus interrupted the greatest moment in the Feast of Tabernacles. It's a seven day celebration. And every day the high priest goes to the pool of Siloam. They scoop up water and they take it back to the temple and they call this water that they scoop up and bring back to the temple. They call it the living water. So for seven days they do this and it builds up to the seventh day and it's very exciting and there's thousands of people and they're all watching and they're all in silence as the high priest scoops up the living water from the pool of Siloam to take back to the temple. And it's at this moment in the festival that Jesus stands up and announces that he is the living water. So let's read in verse 37 exactly what Jesus says. Chapter seven, verse 37 on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scriptures has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And this is where John talks to us as the audience, as the reader. By this, he meant the spirit. Like how I talked about whispering to people during the movies. This is John whispering to us. By this, he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Jesus says that the rivers of living water will flow from anyone who believes in him. Jesus told the woman at the well that when we drink from the living water, we'll never be thirsty again. We learn from these verses that Jesus is the living water that flows to us from the cross. All of these moments, all of these stories are leading to this moment of sacrificial love on the cross. When someone unknowingly fulfills scripture by piercing Jesus's side and revealing the symbolism of living water that flows from Jesus to us. And there's so many Old Testament scriptures that lead to this moment and point to this moment. And I didn't have time to put them all up here. But if you are taking notes, I can say them to you and you can look them up during the week. Uh, but it, Psalm 105.4, there's other Psalms, but this one was good. Psalm 105.4, uh, Moses, when he hits the rock in the wilderness, 
That's going to be in Exodus 17, 6 through 7. It's also referenced in Numbers 20. And then Ezekiel 47 paints a picture of the living water. And that's a really great visual. And what's really exciting about Ezekiel 47 is that's where we get the name of Eastgate from. So if you ever like, why is it called Eastgate? Well, Ezekiel 47. That's why. Okay, so uh, <laughs> I didn't mean for that to seem so aggressive, but there you go. Uh, so when Jesus says that we won't thirst anymore, it means that we don't have to look elsewhere for a God to care for us and to provide for us. We have all that we need in Jesus. And when Jesus says that it flows within us, it's meant to be a visual of the Holy Spirit that is within us and is with us wherever we go. We don't have to do this alone. Good news, we don't have to do this alone. We are guided by the living water, by the Holy Spirit, and it can be shared with everybody around us. Spurgeon had a quote on this that I wanted to share. I really liked the way he worded it. He said, one of these old divines says that Jesus Christ was typified by our first father, Adam. As Adam fell asleep and out of his side, Eve was taken. So Jesus slept upon the cross, the sleep of death, and from his side where the spear was thrust, his church was taken. I know, isn't that good? I didn't write it, but it's cool. <laughs> I was like, ah, that would be good. <laughs> but we represent the living water to the world around us. We are called to do that. We don't look to the world around us to rescue us. We don't look to the world around us to meet our needs. We have the living water, and we know Jesus is the one that does that. All right, let's read our last section of verses, starting with verse 38 in John chapter 19. Afterward, Joseph of Arimathea, who had been a secret disciple of Jesus because he feared the Jewish leaders, asked Pilate for permission to take down Jesus's body. When Pilate gave permission, Joseph came and took the body away. With him came Nicodemus, the man who had come to Jesus at night. He brought about 75 pounds of perfumed ointment made from myrrh and aloes. Following, Jesus, following Jewish burial custom, they wrapped Jesus' body with the spices in long sheets of linen cloth. The place of crucifixion was near a garden where there was a new tomb never used before. And so, because it was a day of preparation for the Jewish Passover, and since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. So this is where we're introduced to Joseph of Arimathea. He's actually mentioned in every gospel, all four gospels and other gospels note that he is a council member, which we take as meaning that he's part of the Sanhedrin, which, you know, it's exciting. It's a big deal. Uh, the Sanhedrin was a really big deal. It was like the highest court in the land. The closest thing that I could think of that we have that would be similar would be the Supreme Court. It's not a perfect comparison, so don't come at me saying that it's wrong, but it's close. Okay. So it was a big deal that someone on the Sanhedrin was believing in Jesus because the Sanhedrin is the council that just tried Jesus. They're the ones that just got him arrested. They're the ones that brought false witnesses to lie about what Jesus had done. They're the ones that went to Pilate to beg for Jesus's death. Joseph, by taking that step forward, by taking that first step forward, risked everything. He risked everything. First of all, going to Pilate was a big deal because uh, Pilate was already annoyed with them. So going to ask for one more thing, like, you know, when your parents are really annoyed and you're like, I'm going to push this one more time. (laughs) That's kind of what he did, but there's like the threat of death. So it's, it's not as cute as when we did it. Um, 
so, but basically by doing that, there's that fear of like, what is Pilate going to do and how's he going to respond? He's also pretty much guaranteed going to lose his place on the Sanhedrin, his family's place in the temple with their friends, all the connections that they have made. And he did it anyway. And it says that Nicodemus also helped Joseph with this job. And Nicodemus is a Pharisee who had not, as far as we know, publicly stated his belief in Jesus. John references saying he's the one that talked to Jesus in the night. That was in John chapter three. Nicodemus is talking to Jesus at night. And that's, that's an important detail because it's done in secret. It's not done out in the open. But now he steps forward out in the open to help Joseph bury Jesus. And we assume that these two had money and that they used that money to pay for the ointments and to give Jesus this tomb. And they note that this is a new tomb, and that's important because it means there were no other bodies in there. Okay, we're not looking at a body swap situation. It's just going to be Jesus in there. And John also notes, and as we talked about, there's no extra details. Every detail is important. And so John also notes the location of this tomb. And I don't think it's to like paint necessarily like a visual picture, but he notes it for a reason. He notes that it's near a garden. And what other place in scripture is a garden mentioned in the Bible? Yeah, in Genesis, back at the beginning. It's not, back in the beginning, before the fall, the Garden of Eden was a paradise. It was a time when God and mankind worked together in harmony. It was heaven on earth. It is not a coincidence or meaningless detail where Jesus is buried. He's buried in a new tomb by a garden. Jesus' death on the cross shows us that Jesus has planted a new garden for us to tend. Joseph and Nicodemus tend the new garden and take Adam's place by the way that they respect and care for Jesus' body. We have the same opportunity to tend this new garden and bring paradise to earth by the way we choose to live. What do you mean, Janelle? I'll tell you. When we choose forgiveness instead of revenge, when we choose forgiveness instead of revenge, we are planting seeds for a new garden. When we choose to offer grace and compassion, especially to those we disagree with, we are expanding the kingdom of heaven by degrees. We are bringing that paradise back to earth and we are tending the garden we have been called to tend. And when we see that someone is hurting and we go the extra mile to care for them, we are tending the garden and we are expanding the kingdom of heaven. It's important for us to understand that the entire Bible was not just leading up to this moment on the cross. It was, but it's also leading up to this very day in this very room. We all have a purpose in this life. We've all been called to tend the garden. And we find that purpose by loving God and living out the values that Jesus represented in his ministry. We have it on the wall, learning to love God, learning to love others, learning to love loudly. You know, when I was reading these verses, I wondered what it was like for Joseph and Nicodemus to care for Jesus's body. What that must have been like, you know, to pull the thorns out of his head one by one. 
to wash away the blood, to as carefully as possible, remove the nails. What it was like to see him. I mean, the grief had to be unimaginable. And we know that the, this is not how the story ends. We know that. But they didn't at that moment. It wasn't like while they were caring for Jesus and caring for his body, Jesus stopped and like winked at them like, it's going to be okay. No, they had to wait. They had to wait for the good ending. And while they waited, they showed compassion. They cared for Jesus. They gave up their jobs. They gave up their reputation, their community. They gave up everything to care for Jesus. And they followed Jesus without the reassurance of a good ending in that moment. So now we must hold up the mirror of scripture one more time. And we have to ask ourselves, can we do the same? Can we be willing to give up everything? Can we live for something bigger than ourselves? Can we be willing to drink from the cup of suffering and taste the living water while we wait for the good ending that has been promised to us? And each one of us has to answer this question for ourselves. Nobody can answer it for us. But it's something for us to consider and think about as we leave here today. So as we leave here today, let's remember that Jesus is the sacrificial lamb that protects us. He gave himself for us because he loves us and he wants to protect us from death. He gave up everything so that we can live forever. He loves us. And if we leave here forgetting everything else I said today, please leave here remembering God loves us. Jesus loves us. He says we're worth dying for. We are, you are special and important and valuable. And Jesus says that you are worth saving. And let's remember that Jesus is the living water that flows to us from the cross. He says that when we drink the living water, we won't be thirsty anymore. And he gave his life so that we could have the living water, the Holy Spirit with us wherever we go. So we don't have to do this alone. And let's remember that Jesus has planted a new garden for us to tend. We can once again partner with God and bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth. And while we wait for the good ending that was in store, let's use this opportunity to follow God and live out the values of compassion and forgiveness and grace to the world around us. Right on? All right. If we remember everything and remember anything, remember you're loved by God. Okay. Let's pray. God, uh, I'm, I'm humbled by your love. You know, you just barely brush up against the amount of love you have for us. And it just, I'm lost in, in, in how big it is and how, how much you love us. We receive this gift of your life that you gave for us. We are aware of the gift that you gave us. We are aware of, of what you did for us, that sacrifice, that torture and cruelty that you went through on our behalf. We thank you for it. We receive it. We see your hand reached out to us, and we want to grab that hand and partner with you in tending the new garden and bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth. Help us do that. Holy Spirit, living water, guide us. 
and how we might be able to do that in real and tangible ways. God, show us how we can make our love louder. In Jesus' name, amen.
your family, your children, and the children, and the children. given us a purpose. We thank you for for that, and we praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's speak this blessing together. I'll be up here to pray. That wasn't me. Um, okay, well, we'll just, I'll just keep talking and we'll see what happens. Uh, all right, we're going to speak this blessing together. If anybody needs prayer for anything, I'll be up here. A few other people will be up here. Or if uh, we haven't met and this is your first Sunday or first few Sundays, we'd love to get to know you as well. So whatever, you, you can just come up here to talk to us. All right, uh, let's speak this together. Okay, no. Okay, let's say their names together. <laughs> okay. Uh, great, yes, I knew that was going to come up. Uh, thank you to the media team. You're amazing. Um, okay, <laughs> let's say this together. May Christ be a light to illumine and guide you. Christ be a shield to overshadow you. Christ be under you. Christ be over you. Christ beside you on your left and on your right, both in this world and the one to come. Go in peace, you children of God.